This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for joining us with 30 minutes of your precious time as we talk about the political issues of the day. And today we will talk about the politics of Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat who is in the middle of every piece of legislation. And today we have the master of the Journalism Senate, Mr. Paul Kane of the Washington Post. How are you, Paul? I'm good, Jerry. How are you? Yes, thanks for joining us. Uh, so Joe Manchin, he's a Democrat of West Virginia, and he is in a state that voted 39 percent for Donald Trump, which kind of puts him in a in an interesting situation. Tell us about him and his importance in the Senate these days. Joe Manchin is uh, a guy who always loves to be in the mix of any sort of final deal. Um, you know, he's described as a centrist or a conservative Democrat. Um, I think he's best could be described essentially as a Joe Manchin Democrat. Um, he is, <laughs> you know, he, he's his own breed. You, you said it right there. He, West Virginia uh, voted by, by a 39% margin for Donald Trump. Um, it is a very conservative state now. It's very old. It's very white. It's very rural, um, rural mountainous. Um, it is a state that a, a couple of years prior voted for Donald Trump by, I believe, 42% wow. uh, over Hillary Clinton. Uh, so you could kind of technically argue, oh, my gosh, there's a, yes. <laughs> there's a wave of Democratic support out there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like losing a football game by... <laughs> 39 points instead of 42. Um, so he has to live and survive on his own. He is a guy that has, has learned that he's out in a, in a, you know, to extend this metaphor, you know, he is out in a, in a mountainous valley all by himself trying yeah. to figure out how to mm -hmm. keep getting elected. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, he has, um, honed in this really, really unique brand as a Democrat who understands West Virginians and West Virginia values. And so some of the time that means he's conservative uh, on some issues, especially when it comes to his home state and big industry of coal. Um, some of the times it just means he wants to be in the mix mm -hmm. of, a, of a deal, mm -hmm. because if you're at the table, you can sure. steer money and steer funds to your state, um, which you can then use to say, reelect me because mm -hmm. I have delivered for you. Mm -hmm. I have brought you that bridge, that dam, mm -hmm. um, that new highway interchange. Um, so he is really focused heavily on that type of role. Um, and he, he's been doing it for years, but last year's elections which spilled into this uh, this year with two runoffs in January in uh, in Georgia, ended up with the incredibly rare, dead even 50-50 split of the Senate, mm -hmm. which means that he can play a role right there at the center axis point of the entire Senate to deliver 50 votes for Joe Biden and the agenda, plus a tie-breaking vote from 
Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a position that he has treasured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people Definitely. talk about that yeah. more often. People forget that he's actually the chair of a committee. It's the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. People forget he chairs that committee because he is so in the mix on so many different issues. Yeah. And he doesn't even need to be chairman to exert influence here. Yeah. And I, I call him President Manchin now because yeah. he, he is really the gate uh, that Biden's got to get through, uh, it seems, to get anything done. So right now there's the $3.5 million, um, you know, spending plan that Biden wants to put through. Manchin is saying cut it in half. Uh, this, this spending plan has been called by the supporters, you know, the greatest piece of legislation since the Great Society, which, you know, then the New Deal. So he's doing that. The Voting Rights Act, they're waiting on him on that one. And then recently he's named as the climate change guy when he, as you say, he gets a lot of his support from a fossil fuel state. So um, and 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 is he and it's kind of you're right. He's in a kind of interesting position because he's got to save himself and, and then try to kind of appeal to both sides is he is he putting his political survival over his party affiliation now here's where it gets you know slightly even more cynical because there are uh, a lot of folks out there who believe that mansion is often the guy who's willing to go out and you know take the heat on these issues when in fact there are probably six, seven, eight other Democrats who aren't quite as centrist or aren't quite as conservative as Manchin, but sometimes given the issue, might be right there with him. And they don't want to face the heat. They don't mm-hmm. want to step mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And they're happy to let him <laughs> take this big, big soup. Yes, you know, it's, it's the, the old the, army thing where volunteers step up and everybody steps back and leaves yeah. the guy out there. Yeah, I think the, the clearest example of that, the rare example where we got a, a, a real showing of hands, was earlier this year when Democrats were passing a, a big recovery bill for uh sort of rescue recovery mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. COVID and coronavirus mm-hmm. pandemic issues. And Bernie Sanders really wanted to attach a $15 minimum wage to that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senate parliamentarian said that that is, in fact, not in order. It's a policy change that has to be done through sort of the regular Senate order, including clearing 60 votes to end the debate and choke off a filibuster. Um Bernie Sanders then forced a vote on the Senate floor, and a lot of people assumed that it was just Joe Manchin uh, who was blocking this this issue, for critical issue for progressives. And it turned out eight other Democrats voted against raising the minimum. I'm sorry, eight members of the Democratic caucus total voted against an $8 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. There were only 42 people, uh, including Bernie Sanders, who voted for a minimum wage. So there are people who say that oftentimes Manchin is is just the guy who is willing to be out front on mm-hmm. the issue, um, pushing for some sort of centrist compromise. And, he, and it's not just a solo act that he's mm-hmm. doing it on behalf of others. And those others are sort of quietly behind him saying, yeah, Joe, you do that. I don't <laughs> I don't want to vote for a $15 minimum wage. Uh, you know, I don't want to be the one out there. With, you know, Uncle Joe. You know. um, 
and it's a good politics for him because like we said we're a state where trump wins by so much you know if he looks like he's the guy standing up to liberal democrats that's a good position for him if he wants to run for re-election and and so when i was covering um the senate and um you remember the big gun bill it was him and toomey um yeah. they put in that big gun bill and i think a lot of people you know i mean it's the old john kennedy book profiles and courage you know people who took stands even though their their political life was at risk uh, and they took stands they believed in he was very much i thought that was a very courageous act because again he's from a gun state and mm-hmm. toomey is too and those guys really worked together to to push that thing which was unsuccessful but um i has he changed since that time has, has he been forced to change since that time well it's it's only the state has only gotten more conservative um since then that was 2013 and um it it still seemed as if you know they were uh, I think they elected the Democratic governor that year um, that, to succeed him. I, I'm blanking. I may I may be wrong, but um, they uh, they you know they they did they even elected a Democratic governor in 2016 in West Virginia. It was hmm. Jim Justice. He mm-hmm. switched parties and he's now a Republican because he saw where the state was headed. Oh, surprise! Yeah. Um, so has if mansion has changed it's because he the, his state has gotten even more radically conservative and um but i think what's really changed is the environment previously mm-hmm. it yeah. was the republicans had the majority for six years right uh and it was just a question of was it a 51 49 majority 53 47 majority mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and you, you sort of moved in and out based on uh, the, the the majority, and he was never the, the central figure mm-hmm. the way he is now. Yeah. This, these circumstances, a 50-50 Senate, evenly mm-hmm. divided, with mm-hmm. the Democrats in charge, mm-hmm. trying to push an agenda in which they need all 50 right. before they can even consider yep. any other options, it makes Manchin this this critical center player oh, and yeah, yeah. and maybe we'll get to more of this but his his colleagues like him you know that's the the thing is that it, he, he can drive the activists on both sides left and right crazy always <laughs> joe mansion oh yeah. mansion joe mansion on yeah. this joe mansion on that um but it's true his colleagues like him he has a has a boat, pretty big boat that he keeps down in the southwest uh, D.C. Uh, harbor, and uh, he loves entertaining on that boat. And lots of senators love to go hang out on the boat. It's like their own little respite from mm-hmm. from the world, mm-hmm. and they trust him. Mm-hmm. And they've developed these bonds, and mm-hmm. to some degree. Some of what he's doing is old-fashioned Senate behavior. I was just going to say, it sounds like the old and everybody kind of holds the, the Tip O'Neill, Ronald Reagan, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bash each other in the day and have a beer at the end of the day. And the Senate has typically been that way. I mean, it's most recently become the more partisan thing, but he definitely does sound like, um, you know, the old player. And uh, how's the Biden administration dealing with them? Are they frustrated? Administrations just don't want to be surprised mm-hmm. by by people like this mm-hmm. they don't want to be caught off guard mm-hmm. um and i 
think for the most part he has been upfront with them and told them what his mm-hmm. what his criticisms are where mm-hmm. he is and something i think he has been very direct with them and i think that's where it's served okay and you saw this on this infrastructure <clears throat> the bipartisan infrastructure deal which and Manchin considers a huge success. His his comrade uh, in arms in that was Kirsten Cinema, who was also a pretty moderate Democrat mm-hmm. from Arizona, mm-hmm. and she took uh, a lot of the lead on that, and that worked out well. And they were up front with the administration. They had enough Republicans to deliver on a deal, and they kept the Republicans together, and and it made it a, a workable thing. And I think that the mansion was an example of how things should work. Um, they don't work that way all the time. Uh, there's often not 10, sometimes not mm-hmm. two Republicans who want to work with Democrats on some of this stuff. Um, but he, you know, it's about being upfront, being honest, keeping them informed of what's happening um, and whether you can deliver votes. That's, you know, that's the other big test on all this. Um, sometimes for Manchin, it's, you know, he's only, his vote is the last holdout and that's, and sometimes that's all it takes. Exactly. Um, he is the vote deliverer of his own vote. Um, so, uh, you know, I think he relishes the situation he's in. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. He likes being the center of attention. Um, and a, a politician? There's gambling in here. We see that every no, week. I mean, <laughs> the but. way things have changed in the last twenty years, you know, there are there are these Democrats that are happy to have Manchin out there speaking for them, so that they don't anger anyone. Mm-hmm. They never they never have to come out and say. Uh, the things that where Manchin will say unequivocally, this is uh, he'll come out after this parliamentarian ruling on the immigration, um, not being uh, eligible for this big massive budget bill, and somebody's going to ask him if he's going to overturn the filibuster. Mm-hmm. His answer is going to be no. I'm not willing to overturn the filibuster. And the reality is, when he says that, he's speaking for seven or eight, maybe ten Democrats who yeah. really don't want to yeah. do it. Yeah. But they don't want to face the heat of right. their liberal activists back home. Yeah. So they're just happy to let him get all the attention. <laughs> on yeah. It. So it's interesting because it's he sounds like the Marcus the Queensberry, you know, boxing rules. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm just letting you know I'm going to punch you in the face. So he got elected, I guess, last time 2018. So his term isn't up to 2024. Five is he? Yeah. Um, he's got some time that the state may change. Um, is he being too cautious? Do you think at this time? Well, I think the question that he has to answer at some point is really, does he want to run for another term? He yeah. is. I just check this as we're talking. He's seventy-four years old. Just turned yeah. seventy-four last month. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that puts you, you know, you're you're jumping forward three more years. Right. He would be 77 years old, up for another term, which is six more years. So right. he's got a nine, nine and a half year issue in front of him. Does he want to run and serve another term? Hmm. If so, you know, now he's got to think about. Sure. 
<clears throat> running and how to run and how to win yeah. all these Republican yeah. voters there. Yeah. But if he doesn't want to run, if he's ready to retire at the age of 77, then he needs to start thinking, all right, what is my legacy here? What do I right. want to exactly. see? <clears throat> I've got this big clout right now. Mm -hmm. If I'm not going to run for re-election, I don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. That one county that's super conservative <laughs> and never votes for me. And I don't have to, you're free to do things yes. that you want to do for your own legacy. And I think yeah. that's a question that he has not answered at yes. this point. I don't yes. think he knows the answer himself. Well, he, as you say, he likes the attention. And I think a lot of the senators, um, they like the attention. And especially if you're a mineral, I remember covering John Bro and God, he just loved being at the table. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, I think, as you say, he's um, he's very popular. Um, and, um, you know, you, you're, you're in control now. One of the things that comes up with Manchin and when he's doing this is the filibuster. And I think you and I talked a little bit about this the last time and and people and i think what happens and you know when i was there and the, and the, Demo the democrats were in charge the republicans say hey let's end the filibuster and now it's hey let's end the filibuster because the republic i mean the other way around i mean the democrats they, either party always says let's end the filibuster when they're mm -hmm. short short stick what is the reality of that happening i think it's very very slim mm -hmm. a very slim chance that it will happen um and I do think there that you that Manchin is speaking for a much larger group than people realize. Um, the two senators from New Hampshire, uh, Maggie Hassan uh, and Jean Shaheen, have both at times very quietly <clears throat> raised a lot of concerns about it. Uh, John Tester from Montana has raised concerns about it. Uh, both of Nevada senators, Catherine Cortez Masto, who's mm -hmm. in re-election next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Jackie Rosen have yeah. given answers. If, if you ever, you know, search and find them on filibuster, they they're not really too keen on blowing it up. Now, there's a question of would you set a precedent that you do it just for voting rights issues? Right. Um, that there's a sort of filibuster carve out. Um, yes, that can make uh, some degree of sense, but the reality is that so far, Manchin, Cinema, and these others, they, they see that as something that's unworkable. And how do you, if you were trying to do something like that, how do you determine what falls into that category yeah. and what doesn't? So yes. Yes. you get to vote, you get to pass a, a laws that, you know, change voting rights and ensure and enshrine certain things about voting but then the millions of daca eligible uh, uh undocumented immigrants here in this country who have been trying to get some sort of permanent status like us uh, path to citizenship is that doesn't qualify that wouldn't qualify under mm -hmm. that the special mm -hmm. carve out so mm -hmm. boy that's that's kind of a kind of a bummer you know <laughs> you, you go through some of yeah. these other key mm -hmm. issues it's it really does seem to be that if you're going to do it it's going to happen it's either going to happen all at once and the filibuster is done um or it's not going to happen for quite some time and yeah. you're going to need stars to align in a different way and democrats are if the democrats do it they've just got to go out and win more senate seats yes you know? that's right and uh, the midterms coming up it's not looking good is it 
No, I mean, their majority is, while as tenuous as it can be, 50-50, you lose one seat and you lose the majority. Um, it's not... Uh, it, it's not as bleak uh, as it would seem because the, the number of targets that are up in 2022, there's really only four Democratic targets that are up and each of them have, you know, if there's Raphael Warnock of Georgia and Cortez Masto in Nevada and uh, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire and Mark Kelly in Arizona. And mm-hmm. so far, the Republicans don't really have a solid candidate in mm-hmm. any of those four states. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's sort of some hope on from their side that, they're, uh, that something will shake out with a couple of uh, the more reasonable Republicans who would stand a better chance, but there's been no clarity yet. Um, and if, if if they don't win one of, all, you know, one of those four races, the Democrats have the majority. It's yeah. kind of that simple. That means they return 50, and the question is, can they pick off one or two more? But in terms of the filibuster, you know, the best day possible for uh, Democrats on Election Day 2022 in the Senate is probably a 52-48 majority, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and even that's not enough to overcome the filibuster. You'd still have Joe Manchin. You'd still have Kirsten Cinema, You'd have uh, a bunch of others who are still reluctant to move ahead with abolishing the filibuster so yeah and and you and i talked about this the last time just in terms of the rules you need 60 votes to break a filibuster and that is on uh legislation that is not budgetary is that right yeah yeah and you know there was a a, a push to try and get this massive immigration overhaul into this <laughs> yeah, thing, 3.5 nice trillion bill. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you gotta yeah. try right <laughs> Yeah, you got to try. And the Senate parliamentarian had a really incredible line where she just basically said, the reason people come to this country in this undocumented fashion, fleeing dictatorship and all sorts of horrible other things, is not something that you can quantify in budgetary terms. And nobody is, um, you know, nobody thinks that that's how you go about, you know, you're not trying to build a workforce by legalizing these, these kids who are dreamers. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not what you're trying to do. Yeah. You're trying to give yeah. these people some humanity and decency and a long-term outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's the, the, so those issues that are not, budgetary in nature, then, you know, they have to go through this old fashioned regular order and Mm -hmm. try to clear a 60 vote hurdle. Uh, if the other side puts up a big fight and that's where things stand with immigration right now, that's where it is on that side of the calendar. So with the infrastructure bill, that sounds like it's going to go through a major, um, infusion that hasn't come about in a long time, but what do you think about the 3.5 trillion? That seems like it's going to be a little bit more of a wrestling match. I think they're both still in wrestling match stage because they're so interwoven because the, the progressive caucus over in the house um, has really dug in and said they don't want to vote for this this uh, infrastructure bill unless the 3.5 trillion is ready to go hmm. and it's not ready to go. Hmm. So um, that would, could leave them short if they might not have enough votes to pass the infrastructure bill. 
Um, and the moderates, on the other hand, have said, well, we're not going to vote for this uh, $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill until we get the infrastructure bill passed. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so there's this sort of, you know, it's like two it's an old Jimmy Dean movie. You know, you got two cars <laughs> that are racing toward the cliff. That's great. <laughs> I know? like that. And yeah. um, you kind of hope if you're Democrats, you kind of hope that, that that both are able to, you know, hit the brakes before going over. Yes, um, yes. You know, you hope yes. that... Hope somebody's coat jacket isn't caught in the, exactly uh, right. Yeah, this is the greatest. The yeah, this is the greatest sporting event in the country. Always has been, you know, the legislature. But Manchin again, he said, "Hey, I don't, I don't want to prove anything that's not uh, is 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 more than half of what the three point five trillion is." You think he's serious? You think he holds on to that? It's with Manchin. This is the the tough, annoying part from a reporter standpoint. He never lets you land the question and he never answers the question that you try to land that's and when great. he says that that's when he's great. like oh 1.5 trillion or 2 trillion that's what i want not 3.5 trillion you know there a lot of this would be paid for by offsetting tax increases right. um and revenue enhancers and so mm-hmm. when he says no to 3.5 trillion and he says we want 1.5 or 2 trillion well what if they put together Two, two trillion, two point five trillion in, you know, offsetting mm-hmm. tax increases. Well, that means the whole thing's only a trillion or trillion and a half dollars. Mm-hmm. Is that something he could support? Right. He won't say, um, which is which is kind of annoying. He doesn't let you get the. He either ducks the question or just it starts answering his own question. It is annoying, but it is drama, and drama yeah. is the uh, that's the that's the word of the day in that place. Mm-hmm. Th- uh, Paul, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always great to have you, and you truly are for me the best of the Senate. And uh, I know you've been real busy this week, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Oh, happy to be here, Jerry. All right, thanks. And we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. I'd like to thank our executive producer Mike Gugat. The technical producer, Brad, maybe the Wizard of Pods, Dave, our announcer, and John Terzis, our uh, voice contributing talent. And until next week, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.